0: And my name's Stu and welcome to the first ever episode of The, the Wild Wild. White. White.
1: In this series we will be discovering some of the amazing animal species that live on the island. Some will be very familiar to you.
0: Like red squirrels. But did you know that there are deer living wild on the island?
1: Or that there are sharks swimming just off the coast of the English Channel?
0: Well we will be interviewing a whole host of experts who can't wait to share their knowledge and experience about the animals that live here.
1: We will also be talking to some of the people working on conservation projects and finding out about the great work they do and ways that you can get involved at home
0: but right now let's dive into our first ever feature on red Red
1: Squirrels. squirrels
0: when you think about the isle of wight and nature one of the first things that comes to most people's minds will be red squirrels but did you know that we are considered an area of national importance for their conservation why is this Well, it's because of the Solent. The short stretch of water that separates us from the mainland creates a natural barrier and makes the island a rare sanctuary. Red squirrels were once common across the whole of the UK, but in 1867, a small population of grey squirrels were released into a park in Cheshire. Slowly over time, the greys have outcompeted the reds, and now only a few isolated populations exist on the mainland. Luckily, grey squirrels are not great swimmers, so there are a few islands where the reds have managed to carry on living without the pressures of competing for food, or succumbing to the diseases that grey squirrels carry. Brownsea Island in Poole has a small, established population, Anglesey has a larger number of reds, but it's connected to the mainland by a series of bridges and has a continual battle on its hands to keep out the greys. Jersey was not a place where red squirrels lived historically, but around the same time the greys were first introduced into the UK, red squirrels were released there and are now widespread across the island. But coming back to our own island, the 3,500 red squirrels that live here make it the largest population in the UK, and a place where a lot of scientific research has been carried out by the White Squirrel Project. Founded in 1993 by Helen Butler, the project has been monitoring the red squirrel population for nearly 30 years, making good use of citizen science to help gather data on their behaviour and publish papers on the diseases that are affecting them. In 2012, Helen was awarded a special award by the Red Squirrel Survival Trust in recognition of outstanding service to red squirrel conservation. And in 2013, she was awarded an MBE for services to red squirrels on the island. We were very lucky to get to talk to Helen at the Wolverton Manor Garden Fair this year about red squirrel conservation and the work the White Squirrel Project is involved in. But before we go over to that interview, Rufus has got our very first Animal Fact File. Animal
1: Animal Fact fact File file. Name Name. Red Squirrels
0: Class Mammal. Order.
1: Rodents like rats, hamsters, mice, beavers, capybara, and groundhogs.
0: Size.
1: Between 34 and 45 centimetres. Weight. Weight. Between 400 and 800 grams. Colour. Red but with a white belly, but their coats get darker in winter. Features. Tufty ears, bushy tail, sharp claws, good for climbing up trees. Habitats? Habitats woodlands habitat. and forests.
0: Behaviour. Behaviour.
1: They build dome-like nests called a dray and are smart creatures. They spend most of their time foraging in trees.
0: Diet: Diet.
1: Nuts and seeds.
0: And finally, and an interesting fact. fact.
1: In India, there is a type of squirrel the size of a cat called the Indian giant squirrel.
0: Thanks for that, Rufus. That was really fun to record. We'll be giving you a fact file in each episode to cover the basic facts of the biology and behaviour of the animals we will be talking about.
1: And now, without any more delays, we are going straight into our first ever interview on the first ever episode of The Wild White, a fascinating discussion with Helen Butner from The White Squirrel Project.
0: Thank you, Helen, for coming on to the show. You're welcome. So the first question that we wanted to ask is... Why do we have red squirrels on the Isle of Wight and not grey squirrels?
2: Luckily for us, the Solent has prevented, so far, the grey squirrels actually establishing themselves on the Isle of Wight. So it's just thanks to that stretch of water. Occasionally you do get one over here. Then it has to be removed, obviously. Right. Uh, there's only been one since I've been doing this. That was in 2001, 2002 in West White. Right, OK. And that sparked a lot of research. Mm-hmm. The trapper, professional trappers came over, trapped West White. Myself and the volunteers, we put up what's called hair tubes, all in the West White, and we did that for two years. So it's, it's a big thing if there is a genuine generally a grey got over here.
0: So obviously the grey squirrel has been introduced to the UK yes. and the red squirrel is a native species here That's so right. they just haven't established themselves on the island.
2: Which makes us nationally important for the species, we are the place for red squirrels in the country.
0: There's um, obviously in Anglesey, they've got some up there haven't they? They have to keep um,
2: fighting to keep the greys off because yeah. the, the greys get across the Menai Bridges.
0: And you've got populations on Brownsea Island as well. Yes,
2: that's right. It's very small, but they're they're on Brownsea.
0: And obviously, in the Highlands of Scotland, there's population up there. But there's greys in Scotland. Yeah,
2: yeah. It's all a big fight up there. Yeah, sure. So I just think we're so lucky down here.
0: Why do we have more grey squirrels than reds on the mainland?
2: There's several competitive edges. Obviously, size matters, and the greys are twice the size of the red. Eat twice as much food then, obviously. Whereas the gray, the reds naturally live about one per hectare, the grays go up five, six, seven, eight, maybe ten per hectare. So they just strip all the food, take it from the reds, and obviously the other small mammals and birds in the wood. They also carry the squirrel pox virus, the grays ones. They don't contract it themselves, but they pass it on to the reds, and it goes through a population of reds like wildfire. The other big thing is acorns, lots of acorns in this country, oak trees, great for the grey squirrels who can digest the tannins in them, but the reds can't digest the tannins very well.
1: How many red squirrels are there
2: on the island? Well, what you do is look at the habitat, about three and a half, four thousand hectares I think there is now of habitat. Some places aren't so good, so if you sort of whittle that down and say, as I was saying, one per hectare of red and work it out that way, and they have spread out there virtually every wood on the island now, so you'd say round about the three and a half thousand mark. Is the population increasing or decreasing? It's stable at the moment. When I started, it was very low because it wasn't long after the hurricanes, but over... 31 years I've been doing this now they have built up and built up and they've spread out. That's partially thanks to the forestry putting in corridor links between woods and extending little woods as well.
0: So there has actually been a sort of concerted effort on the island to increase the numbers rather than just letting them sort naturally
2: Well um, well, well, you're you're giving the they, you're looking after the habitat and you're giving them the corridor links mm-hmm. and that gives them the means of spreading out and doing, doing it themselves. Yeah. Once, if the stuff's there, they use it. The habitat's yeah. there and it's good, they use it.
0: Okay, so um, what environmental pressures do red squirrels have on the island?
2: We did find the rise in buzzards has had an impact. Mm-hmm. Prior to 2011, the squirrels, well, they were going up and I think their numbers sort of peaked then. And then the, the buzzards peaked. And until the reds adjusted to the squirrels, uh, the buzzards, sorry, and built their drays in different places, their numbers did go down a bit. But now the squirrels build inside a tree hollow, inside buildings. They're going in people's lofts more, which they didn't do before, and they're hiding their drays much better so that the buzzards just can't go into the top of the tree where the drays is and pick them out.
0: Okay. And you've monitored, you've actually seen that happen, like where yeah, they're changing, yeah. where they're building. Yeah. Oh, that is that's very interesting. <laughs>
2: Building obviously development because they, yeah. if they want to take the trees, they wanna build houses, they do it and they build all sorts of attractions and goodness knows what into the and the trees go and they're under all sorts of human pressure.
0: I'm sure on the island where we've got a finite amount of space exactly. that's just gonna sort of increase over the years, yeah, isn't it? So it's with gonna the, get worse. The development yeah. on sort of yeah. green sites
2: and Yeah. More cars of course, so more road kills. Over a hundred killed every year right. on the roads. When a baby squirrel's born, and how many are in a litter? Squirrels come into breeding condition in January. So their first litter is six weeks after that, assuming they breed in January. They get in first. So they'd have their babies mid-February. And the the average is two or three per per litter. It could be one to four. They stay with their mother till they're about 12 to 14 weeks old, and then they have to go off on their own. And the babies are called kittens. How long do red squirrels live for? Most squirrels don't even see their first birthday. It's survival of the fittest, natural selection, if you like. So it's reckoned, on, on average, only one, on, one in six sees its first birthday. If they make that first birthday, an average in the wild is about six years.
0: And what natural predators do squirrels have? I know you mentioned buzzards were
2: yeah, buzzards that the, the natural predator, goshawks are, uh, there's rumours that there's goshawks over here now right. and their prime food is squirrel so that's not very good. Uh, a very occasionally an- another bird, a prior take one but nothing much a fox, if he gets one, is probably perhaps a sick one or an unwary one
0: Yeah, we were trying to work out how likely yeah. it would be that a fox could catch a squirrel Because the squirrels are a lot faster and Yeah, but if it's got its advantage. head in the
2: ground, digging yeah. its nut in That's how the cats and dogs get them Okay. As well. Yeah,
0: I mean, you do hear a lot about cats being um,
2: yeah, they do quite they can, savage yeah.
0: predators for birds. But I didn't know if that was they a thing, do. They, they do.
2: If a cat squirrels. gets a taste for squirrel, mm. then it can wipe out the population.
0: Wow. Okay. In an area,
2: Would there be badgers as one of their predators. No squirrels if you think about it are out in the daytime and badgers are out at night
0: okay so you said that squirrels are sort of dispersed all over the island so it's just anywhere where there's woodland on the island just pretty much
2: pretty much if it's a small woodland with the wrong sort of trees in i'm going to have a look in this one in a minute Mm because sometimes they're in there sometimes they're not some i look for evidence i don't see the squirrels very often you just look for evidence
0: and the evidence is a split
2: hazelnut the squirrels notch the top of the nut and split them in half Mm -hmm. or if it's a fir cone they pull all the little spines off to get the seeds out so you get what's virtually a core of the spine Mm -hmm. so that's the sort of thing you look for What is the white squirrel project? White squirrel project initially did everything to do with squirrels and then in 2005, we started the Isle of Wight Red Squirrel Trust. And now they, they just do the education. The White Squirrel Project does more the um, scientific side, if you like, the monitoring, the welfare, genetics.
0: So how is the health of the red squirrel population on the island at the moment?
2: Not too bad. We haven't had that many sick and injured in this year, or baby orphans. It it, it, it just depends. I think possibly... The, They've been down a little bit this year. Not quite so many road kills, not quite so many squirrels brought into us. They get all sorts of diseases. And Some... you have,
0: you've you published scientific papers yeah. on, on the diseases of yes. the red squirrels, yeah. haven't you? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I guess that, does that change over the years? Do you see sort of different diseases coming in and out, or are there sort of endemic diseases?
2: Well, there's certain things... Like the toxoplasmosis that they catch from cats, that's widespread on the island and that's just ongoing. Very few cancers, obviously we've found the leprosy, which made big news, but you don't see that very often.
0: You do the work in the monitoring, but have you ever had to do any sort of interventions to, to combat any sort of diseases?
2: There's nothing that prevalent that we've got to do anything about it, but there's, there's no one big thing.
0: So what can people do to get involved in the white squirrel project or in just red squirrel conservation on the island?
2: Citizen science is a big thing. Anyone can get involved in that. If you go, take your dog out for a walk, just like hiking around the country, let me know when you've seen a squirrel. If you've got them in the garden, obviously, tell me. Uh, You can actually take on a transect and monitor it biannually. If you'd like to help with shows, giving talks, looking after sick and injured but you have to be very specialised you have to be a very special person and have the right premises for that but we can always do with help there
0: obviously there's the bat hospital there's a big organisation on the island but is there like a squirrel hospital somewhere or facilities our homes, for doing no, that it's
2: actually it's not, in our homes it's, right. in, it's in graham's home because you've got to have them there sort of day and night especially if they're babies they have got to be there day and night if they get to the stage where you're preparing them to go out that's different then then they can go in a release cage and well, it's usually in someone's garden. It's got to be near a house for them to look after them. But they know you can't just stick them in a hospital and walk away.
0: Yeah. So, that, and how long's that been running then? How long's Graham been doing that? For?
2: Graham, not as long as me, but almost. I think he must right. be twenty-five years, I reckon.
0: Okay. So i didn't even realize that was a thing so there is facilities for sick and injured squirrels to sort of get be rehabilitated yeah. and yeah. then re-released back to the wild Yeah,
2: the head, lady does the hedgehogs helps me a lot with the squirrels hmm. but we, okay. we need we need to say people with the right sort of premises and the right sort of mindset that you don't mind picking off fleas or picking out maggots you don't mind horrible wounds or get too right. upset when they die and
0: what sort of Premises would people have to have? Is it just a big, big back garden. Have some like outbuildings well, or something. Would, that would that... help. Hmm.
2: Or a spare room where you can have the squirrel quiet, and you don't have people in to look at it, and you don't have pets disturb it because they can they can just die of fright.
0: Is there anything else that we, we think would be worth talking about, or that we haven't covered?
2: Plant trees.
0: Plant tr- and okay. don't
2: cut your trees down in your garden so that you can get a sea view.
0: <laughs> Squirrels
2: <Right>. need trees. <laughs> If you can plant trees, even small ones like hazel, brilliant. Okay. So that's a good thing.
0: So thank you for coming on the show. People can get in contact with you, I guess, if if they've got any questions or want to find out more. And we'll put all the links to your website in the show. Yes,
2: please.
0: Um, Yeah, well, thanks for talking to us. All right,
2: thank you very much.
0: If you want to find out more about red squirrels or the White Squirrel Project, we have links on the episode page on our website, thewildwhitepodcast.com. And you can find out about the ways you can get involved in the Squirrel Survey Citizen Science Project with Helen. This series is brought to you with the support of the Isle of Wight Creative Network. The Isle of Wight Creative Network supports artists and creatives on the Isle of Wight through business support, networking, resources, and profiling allowing creatives to thrive and become more sustainable. If you want to take a look at the work The Creative Network does, or find out how you can sign up, just go to iwcreativenetwork.com or search IW Creative network on Facebook and Instagram.
1: iWatch Wildlife is a citizen science project. It is all about helping people explore, study, and record the fantastic array of species that live on the island.
0: Species recording is really important as it can help us understand what lives here and how nature is changing. It is also a great way to discover more about the wildlife where you live, work, or visit. Each month, they feature a different species and ask for people to send in their observations and sightings, which we will also be doing throughout the series. If you go to our Website the thewildwhitepodcast.com. We have all the information you need there about how you can join us in taking part over the series.
1: During the month of December, I Watch Wildlife will focus on mistletoe. Mistletoe is a plant species that is native to the British Isles, also found across Europe. It can be identified by its smooth-edged, oval-shaped leaves and waxy white berries.
0: The fact that it's an evergreen has given it an association with Christmas. Traditionally, a man was allowed to kiss any woman standing under the mistletoe, and it was bad luck if the woman refused. Obviously, trying to scare people into accepting kisses is not really appropriate behaviour, so we at The Wild White would like to encourage women and men to kiss whoever they like under the mistletoe at Christmas, as long as the other person would like to be kissed as well. But the association with mistletoe and winter festivals goes back thousands of years. It was seen as a symbol of fertility by the Pagans, the Celts and the Ancient Greeks, ...and the Romans associated it with peace, love and understanding... ...and hung it above doorways to protect the household.
1: Mistletoe is an obligate hemiparasitic plant which means that it cannot complete its whole life cycle without a host.
0: And this symbiosis might be where its association with love and bonding came from.
1: It likes to live on apple, hawthorn, lime and poplar trees, though maple, willows, plums and rowans are also suitable hosts.
0: A lot of these trees are found on the island, so if you are out walking in some woodland, keep a lookout for any mistletoe, take some photos and log your findings with iWatch Wildlife and you can contribute to one of the amazing citizen science projects that are happening here.
1: This also leads us very nicely to our second interview.
0: John Dewitt is a woodsman, coppicer and lover of all things to do with trees, and as this is the home of our beloved red squirrels, we met up with him to talk about trees and the state of woodland habitats on the island. Hello John, thank you for coming onto the show. I guess we should start by asking you what your job title
3: is and what exactly do you do? Thank you. No, thank you for inviting me. I have multiple job titles, which uh, in broad range goes from being a woodsman, a copster, conservationist, hedge layer, and understoryman. Okay. Could
0: you just give us a brief description of what those things are? Yeah, then?
3: Oh, I mean, sort of the, the woodsman and copster are broadly to do with uh, woodland management, cutting down of trees for material purposes and to manage the area for regrowth and planting and then hedge layer is a traditional european uh, skill set uh, which is sort of managing of hedgerows in a traditional style And obviously, there's a lot of hedgerow on the island. So is that all managed in the same way? Traditionally, up until the invention of the flail uh, that uh, attaches to the back of a tractor, then all hedgerows would have been managed in this way. But since the flail has been invented, then uh, it makes it a lot quicker and a lot easier and a lot cheaper to uh, just flail back the hedges once a year or once every two years um, to keep them nice and trim and uh, close into the base there but potentially I guess a lot more destructive for the habitat it can be it's the very indiscriminate it's a reset button to the hedgerow itself so it can take up to three years for it to um, fully bounce back to its mm-hmm. uh, original form there but it creates a much tighter denser packed base to the hedge which is great for habitats and invertebrates and mammals and uh, birds to nest in, so it's a good way of rejuvenating a hedge that is coming to the end of its life. In the first
0: interview on this episode Mm. we spoke to Helen Butler from the White Squirrel Project and she was talking about woodland corridors that have been linked up Yes. Over the last, you know, couple
3: of decades on the island. So a hedgerow is part of that sort of network? Very much so. Some of our hedgerows date back certainly hundreds of years, if not thousands of years in the landscape there. They are sort of within the old landscape. They are sort of some of the last remnants of of the ancient woodlands that uh, spread across Britain there and uh, the rest of Europe. Um, It just happened that they were incorporated into field boundaries and to contain animals sort of within these sort of set areas or pastures and would have been made out of the natural landscape that had already existed. So they do make a a very integral part of uh, the, the network Habitat that mm-hmm. uh, crisscrosses the countryside. Why should we manage woodland? Why they should be managed, um, from an ecological point of view, a woodland is an ever-changing habitat, um, certainly in our past. And um, the trees that inhabit that space co-evolved with large-scale herbivores that would come crashing through on their migratory roots um, be it the likes of woolly mammoths or rhinoceroses or hippos sort of back sort of prior to the last ice age there and they would cause great destruction so the trees naturally evolved to counteract this destruction with uh, regrowth currently in the current state of things we have managed to eradicate a lot of those large-scale mammals from our landscapes there and so we end up with a very sterile woodland space, which doesn't have any of this natural regeneration happening. And so from a conservation point of view, that is why we go in and manage these woodlands. And What's the difference between a copse, a woods and a forest? The, the terminology has changed and adapted over the um, centuries. In modern terms, a copse is sort of usually a small stand of trees, but in centuries past, it was a section of woodland that was traditionally managed by coppicing woodlands are basically a land covered with trees but it tends to have a mixture of habitats within it so you you get this sort of uh, layers to the woods that arise uh, which is the herbaceous understory uh, which is made up of all your bluebells and your ferns and your Stinging nettles and bracken and brambles and, and whatnot, and then you have the understory trees uh, and shrubs, which are the hazel and the holly and hawthorn and blackthorn, and and these exist in that sort of mid level there. And then you have the grander, bigger trees, the oaks and the, the beeches and the um, the ashes, and then. A forest, sort of the closest and last sort of um, local sort of one of these is the new forest there. I'm sure some of you probably have driven through the new forest. Uh, If you haven't, definitely suggest it. But it encompasses a huge range of habitats. So from the open grasslands, the uh, wetlands and peatlands in there, uh, to the dense stands of trees and the shrublands as well. Um, And that is more of a traditional view of what a forest once was. So we've talked about the different types of trees we've got on the
0: island. Are they generally in good health or are there environmental pressures that are affecting them?
3: Yes and no. We have a series of highly invasive and quite deadly infections and pests that are sort of currently eating their way through uh, and affecting um, our woodlands at large. The ones that... um, everyone's probably grown up and known is sort of Dutch elm disease, which hit the, the UK in the 1970s. And the more recent one to, to make the headlines is ash dieback. That is a, a disease that uh, originated in Asia, but it has managed to leapfrog its way through tree nurseries and um, spores upon the wind to reach the uk which probably leads us on to explaining exactly what ash dieback is um it's quite depressing um so it gives off spores in the summer which are then carried on the wind so there's no buffer or wall that can be put up to sort of really stop that spread um there's no inoculation that uh, can be done Sort of uh, cost-effectively. The main problem is it affects ash trees, uh, which is uh, native to the UK. Ash is the second most abundant tree within the UK, and so it's hugely widespread. It's found in gardens, it's found in woodlands, it's found in hedgerows. It infects through old wounds within the trees there, which then travels sort of up into the branches of the trees and then slowly causes a dieback, a segmented dieback of the tree. So it doesn't necessarily kill the trees, but it does severely weaken them uh, to the extent that secondary infections from other uh, native funguses can then get in and eat out the heartwood and collapse the tree, which is incredibly problematic when you have a tree that is widely dispersed as the ash is. There is... Some silver lining? There is some silver lining. There is. Our scientific advancement has come on leaps and bounds since Dutch elm disease. So we now know what to look for in a, on a genetic level um, that potentially could make a tree resilient um, or even immune to the disease. So potentially out there, there are trees that have naturally just evolved that have an immunity to this disease. And if we can identify them, then they can then become part of a new seed stock that can then be planted and new trees be raised and spread across the country to to replace the ones that we are losing. We were talking earlier about the, the Infinite Monkey Cage episode of the Wood Wide
0: Web, which was a very yes. interesting listen. if anyone hasn't heard that. Yes. Um, so that's the sort of concept that... The, the woodland as being like a network of various organisms that communicate to each other and
3: through each other. Yeah, I, the, the the basic underlying uh, organism there is, is is the mycorrhizal fungal network. Now, each tree has its own symbiotic funguses that exist with it and support it and help it break down the minerals and nutrients in the ground there. But they also share species as well. So this this network that is underlying and sort of existing in the leaf litter and sort of deep within the ground, it's 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 been theorised and proven that sort of there is some form of information that is being passed backwards and forwards between the trees, between different species of trees, showing that there are preferences of sharing of resources sharing of warning signs of of threats to the woodlands there and so it's it's really turned the whole forestry industry on its head traditionally up until very recently and still happening in large parts of the country uh, and the world is these mono species being planted out in these nice straight rows but they don't have any relationship to their environment or to the surrounding ecosystem and therefore don't have the same support structure in place um, to be able to cope with climatic experiences, with a change in weather patterns, with a sudden emergence of a disease or pest that sort of threatens their existence and therefore have no line of defence to be able to put up. Already we're seeing a shift in planting, especially for commercial forestry, is that the preference is to move back to a more mixed species-rich Habitat creation. So it's long winded. I mean, the wonderful thing about Scots pine and seekers and stuff is that they're very fast growing and produce a very uniform, sort of straight growing grain. But the preference is a nice, long, matured oak tree. But to have that matured oak tree, you need to have the understory, the other sort of species present to nurture that oak in its early days to provide a habitat for. What would eventually come and control the pests, the birds, the insects, the spiders that all naturally, holistically manage the environment for you to not allow a rogue agent to get to a pandemic level within that environment? I think we should probably draw it to a close because
0: we could talk for hours and hours about yes. this, I sort of think. And if people listening
3: want to find out more, how could they do that? Um, I would highly recommend the National Trust and the Wildlife Trust are always looking for volunteers to assist them in their management. Yeah, there's sort of great hands on experience can be found through them. So sort of to find out more, listen to podcasts like this. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That's a good way
0: to end the interview, yeah.
1: Thank you for listening to our first ever episode.
0: Please subscribe to the show on the podcast app of your choice to get all the episodes as soon as they are released.
1: Let us know what you thought of it and if you have any ideas for features you'd like us to cover in future episodes.
0: You can find us on Instagram and Facebook and on our website, thewildwhitepodcast.com where we have links and show notes for everything we have covered today. We'll be back at the end of December for episode number two where we'll be looking forward to 2023 and some of the things we'll be covering over the series. We'll be talking to Tim Brayford from the Isle of Wight Deer Conservation Project and we will have some music from the Ohms.
1: But to finish off, today we have some landscape listening.
0: A short audio soundscape recorded at Castle Cops in East Cows, run by Gift to Nature.
1: And a poem about road squirrels by island-based author and poet Catherine Rosati Barron.
0: Until next time, stay stay wild. wild.
4: A Flash of Colour in the Trees by Catherine Rossati baron Snapshot Brush like tail Red fur floating between branches Limbs outstretched Eyes fixed on its destination Real time gives a delicate touchdown Then a quick scurry up the trunk But wait Something watches Freeze Flatten. Not here. Not here. Danger passes. A flip in stance and on the go again. Another leap. This time a blunder. Almost. Instinct twists its body. Course correction. Advanced calculations performed in a glimpse of a second safe landing and a pourful of berries as the reward.